Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Broken Axle. I'm Steve, and as always, I'll be hosting you tonight. And we've got our usual resident nomadic giant, Craig. How's it going, peoples? And tonight we've got an extra special guest all the way from Poland, Kevin Pert. Hello. Me and Kev go back a little ways. Uh, we were friends from down in South Georgia many, many years ago. Uh, what are you on, Kev? You on uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz? Uh, I have an Insta. I have an Insta. Um, it's uh, ADVS with P-E-R-T. Uh, mostly uh, just kind of my travels and things that I uh, get into with cars and food. Uh because you know I live I live abroad, so there's there's some interesting things, and uh, mostly right now I'm doing uh, off roading stuff. So I've got a uh, interesting uh, vehicle for our North American market. I have a Nissan Pathfinder from the uh, 07 range, the R51 platform, which which is okay for Steven, you know, for that time frame, just not you know the later ones, uh, as we found out from last week's episode uh but it's got a it's got good i still don't feel bad about it uh modern pathfinders are junk and everything <laughs> nissan makes with the cvt is also junk i said it i, I mean, don't feel bad about it i agree i, I mean i agree that this this was the one of the last great this was the last great pathfinder and, and nissan i honestly just took a turn just like a lot of manufacturers with making a lot of you know crossovers and you know vehicles from that kind of style uh, away from that uh really that off-roady uh, goodness uh this you know is like it's an actual truck but the cool difference is you know it, it mine actually has a 2.5 liter diesel with a manual six-speed transmission so still gets four-wheel drive still gets seven seats uh all while getting you know 25 to 27 miles per gallon on the highway so that's interesting pretty outstanding thing there i'm sure uh, yeah. everybody here in the state is jones and real hardcore because God knows we all want more diesels and more manuals in our small oh. truck and SUV market. Oh yeah, and it's not even tuned, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens when I put a little uh, tune on it, and so we can get a little extra go and a can't, little extra economy. Can't quite get rid of the Georgia, huh? Got to got to roll coal. Rolling. So uh, that's actually a good segue, though. So tonight's episode. Everybody out there, we're going to be continuing on our decades series. Uh, last week we talked about the two thousand teens. And tonight, going backwards in time, we're going to cover the 2000s, which uh, for actually all three of us, we're relatively similar aged. Uh, it's kind of a special era, right? It's what we came up in. So for a lot of you guys out there, it's what you guys came up into. Yeah, it's my introduction to cars for the most part. I mean, I think about, you know, the 90s was when I was a kid, but I wasn't really like into cars at that point, you know. But once I got into the early 2000s, that having a car going to high school, seeing what was around me, seeing what was optional to like buy was really that first real introduction for me. I'm yeah, just going to say uh, Fast and Furious, Need for Speed. <laughs> that was that was it. It was about 2001, 2002. So right as I'm getting to my younger, younger middle school age and all of a sudden, boom, yep. cars were a thing. Fast and the Furious yep. before the tanks got involved, back when it was cars. Yeah, the OG back when it was super, and overnight parts from Japan. Super cringy with great one-liners, and it's more slapstick humor than it is accurate. 
That was the that was a big one. That was good stuff, man. Danger to manifolds. Nos. <laughs> I almost had uh, you, bro. <laughs> and then we also have to, which which honestly goes right into probably we could say our first topic, uh, the technology or the 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 error and what it brought, and that goes right into sex spec. <laughs> oh yes, somebody had to bring it. Oh man. Oh man. Yep. 18 speakers fiberglassed into your trunk with the neons and actual neons lighting everywhere. Yep. Not LED wasn't a thing back this time. Oh yeah. Not LED. We're talking back in the day, neon and strobes was high frequency, flashy strobes, Lambo doors. That was a thing. Yep. Yep. Lambo door kits were available for everything. What's kind of funny though, is I, I feel like, like far as cinema peak for like sex spec was probably you know tokyo drift whenever it was like you know super highlighted in there but like in the states it had like actually started to like die down yeah yeah it was never as big here as it was in some other places no we had the donk culture for that or i'm sure scotto can talk about the differences between the difference between a lifted a donk a draft and all these other termages but like we we barely had the fusion of sex spec into our culture but it was more ricer versus like donk right and then of course your muscle guys are all still muscle-fied but they still had you know the mullets and beers and fiberglass kits that were shitty yeah fiberglass body kits and and low riders also a 2000s thing yeah low riders and donks are still a thing like they just are they're not going to go away. But, but that was all this 2000s were also the glory days of when like your MK4 Supra started hit its actual bottom dollar and you could pick up a uh, high mileage yeah. Supra for, you know, $5,000, $6,000 and then I'll all of a sudden Yeah, I'll grant that. Uh, that one it's an interesting example. Those I feel like never really bottomed out hard. But their their uh, classmates, I guess you would say, bottomed out real hard in the mid yeah. uh, mid to early two thousands, like oh eight oh nine stuff like that. Because you could get like twin turbo RX sevens that ran badly for nothing. Yeah, the the, but the true thing for twin turbo three hundreds. Yeah, I was gonna say the twin turbo three hundreds is a more accurate representation because it's still a twin turbo GT car that's somewhat reliable, but you can get them for pennies compared to a supra uh pert doesn't know this but i i went to school with the kid um down in charleston and he bought his first year out back when we got like you know pov allowances or whatever he went and bought a mark IV supra and that was back towards the turn of when they were starting to get a little bit pricey and he got his for 17 it was a target top automatic twin turbo and that's probably the cheapest i've ever seen a mark IV supra go for any at any point yeah um, yeah, I think uh, I actually was- owned a Z32 in like 2012-ish. I, I okay. bought my Z32, and it was like 6,500. So I think that mm-hmm. was like when they started to like, yeah. I would for a while, they were right down around that price range. Yeah, they were down in the four to five thousand dollar range in the early two thousands, pretty commonly. Yeah. Uh, although a lot was- of people just don't want to deal with them because, that, and that's yeah. why I got rid of mine. <laughs> I got tired of just how much engine was stuffed into 
I mean, it's a giant, it's just, it's just too much plumbing, too much engine for that bay to work on conveniently. Uh, I'll just, throw a shout out, shout out here real quick to uh, a mutual friend of at least mine and Craig's, uh, Harry Park, <laughs> the fourth member of that group. The 3000 yep. GT VR4 twin the turbo. Bung hole. <laughs> the heaviest. <laughs> the most the technologically advanced. And by far the worst to work on. And the most technologically advanced. I think it had a pneumatic speed sensing uh, arrow kits and vent flaps and louvers. And well, all it was shit. actually electric, but yeah. Yeah. Both the front and the front air dam and the rear wing actuated. But anyway, we'll uh, try not to get too dissected there. Those are all 90 stuff, and I'm sure we'll talk about all of them in great detail. Yeah, on the next apologies. episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, so speaking of sex spec and stuff, uh, this is also the era where Scion was born. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel yes, like they was... really were the first uh, OEM manufacturer to get in on this. Well, so the. So, uh, you, you ran into them at one of the car shows back in that era, Craig? Yeah, so Scion, for those of you guys who don't know, or at least only think of them as kind of a sportier hipper brand of of toyota it was exactly that so debuted back in 2003 and this is like prime time for when i was starting to you know go to chicago auto shows or whatever else uh, i distinctly remember this too you come down the escalator at the 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 conference center whatever they have and you look to the left and all you hear is and you see pulsing lights and it was like a goddamn concert right and there you go in the middle of showroom. I think it was um, back in, I think it was a, like the, the exhibit a in the middle of the showroom, you have a car trailer, three tall stack of all these modified. And we're talking like sex spec, like Hulk Hogan, like scion XBs and XAs. And this is before even the TC was out. I think it was just those two or the, the three. And they had, you know, rap artists, they had graffiti, they had smoke machines, they had laser lights it was in and for the kids, you know, Scion was Toyota's attempt at trying to lower the average buyer group by getting rid of dealer installed options and offering you one model and that model would just do everything. And then they hired on guys like uh, Ibach and K&N and Kenwood to like give you dealer installed um, upgrades. And it worked. I think the average age for a Scion buyer for like 03 to 07 was like... 32 which is the lowest of any car manufacturer of that time but man it was it was obnoxious <laughs> to say the especially least. in that era right because toyota toyota's age demographic was slipping up rapidly yeah i mean everyone knows the the tan camrys from the 2000s was just like the ultimate in ugh <laughs> let's so, see here. we get a beige but, on beige camry no man it's too, too spicy for me yeah, yeah, but that that car will still be on the road before when we die. Oh, for sure. And that and it will still have that, exactly as much flavor as it did back then, which is yeah, non-fat water. And that was the whole that was the whole shtick, right? Is that Toyota knew that they needed to buy younger buyers, and they knew that their products were good, and that saying that hey, this is a sub-brand of Toyota is going to get you know mommy and daddy to to pitch in on these cars, but they were really aiming for the 20 somethings year olds who were like first car buyers, right? You wanted something young and hip and cool of which by the way, spurned Kia and the hamster things like Scion is the reason why Kia has the soul, yes. right? Is it's hun- That's or, uh, true. That Scion is true. did it first. And that yeah. was like, uh, like 
the very end of the 2000s like 2009 2010 uh yeah range so like yeah it was the birth of that really weird uh square like the bread box yeah the bread box box van the bento box yep 2008 was the the first this the the first uh, what i would call cuv modern cv was kia soul which i still think are really cool the modern day souls are just you know there's it to me the soul is not really a cuv it's like just a wagon uh, or hatchback i guess it's it's yeah i mean so it would be but it sits up taller it would be the precursor to what the cuv is nowadays i think but the worst part was... about them is there's so much almost wasted space. Like, yeah. like you, I'm, I'm sure uh, Craig has had this issue where like you get into it, you have you know little to no leg room, but you feel like if your head was three foot bigger, you would still have plenty of room for your head because there's just so much yeah. or, open space in front of you. Or you know we have the issue. Have that issue? Well, it's the same overall shape, the XB. Yeah. Well, the XB, you were crammed forward. Yeah. I saw an XB. Um, they actually one... have, uh, at least for me, obviously, I'm a short dude, and Craig and Pert here are both uh, on the tall end of average. Yep. In Craig's case, the extra tall end. The uh, uh, little Scions had way more room than you think. Even the TCs were like that, a little two-door coupe. But the TC had the same... Expect. They had the same issue that your Volkswagen Beetle had, and then what Pert is talking about, where you could sit down and you have a dinner table between you and the, or like between you, the steering wheel, and between the, you and the windshield. Yeah, the windshield, right? There is that. Like they, they have so much, and they did that for crash protection, right? They got to angle the windshield back and give you plenty of buffer room because they didn't have collapsible steering columns. Like I, I got why, but like the the two thousands cars had that issue where you just sat in there and you were five miles away from the front of the car. <laughs> And not like in a muscle you know, car though, way. I almost, I almost kind of enjoy that over. And this has been a modern thing that's been bugging me for a while, and it's a trend thing. Yeah. The '90s and 2000s cars, all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. If you sit in one, the A pillars are thin, like yeah, really thin. <clears throat> yeah. And visibility yeah. back in this, or this was the tail end of cars having good visibility, because they had to have good visibility. Right. Uh, as we roll into the tens and up, uh, manufacturers just started giving up on good visibility and substituting it with cameras and blind spot warnings and stuff like that. Or the uh, super tech of the invisible A pillar. Yeah, but like the the two thousands, I think was the tail end of cars that like you could actually see well out of, just because they were designed that way. They also to be seen out of. Yeah, they also had taller greenhouses, and you notice this. Uh, the Impreza is actually a great example of this. Go sit in a, a later, older Impreza, and you'll notice that the windowsill is lower to about mid. For me, it's about mid-shoulder and lower. For Cotto, it would be above his head. <laughs> and then sit into a newer Impreza, and then you notice that all the window lines, the door comes up a lot higher, and then the roof is a lot lower. And they do that for roller protection, and you know they're doing side curtain airbags and if you have a smaller window that's a smaller side curtain airbag um the greenhouses themselves are smaller and narrower the the biggest the biggest car that everyone has to complain about and steven and pert know this is the camaro the sixth gen you feel like you're in a, a a tank you have little slits to look through to look forward and back but it's all forward forward only you don't look behind you in a camaro there just yeah. isn't anything 
but it's all part of that in trying to increase the safety of the pedestrian that you're about to hit. That's, and that's something that, you know, speaking of the 2000s, you know, we lost the, in 2001, we lost, or was it two, the, the Camaro, the, the fifth gym. And uh, yeah. Three. I mean, uh, well, we didn't really lose it. The Sorry. sixth gym took it over. Yeah. And then what was it? Seven years or eight years before we got the 2008 or 2009 uh, Camaros. You know, with oh, you're talking the about the, the fourth, the fourth generation, sorry, the fifth gen gap. Sorry, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, four to five gap. Yeah, excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So with the birth from you know, like the Transformers movies, you know, yeah, like that bringing that back into fold. Like, hey, it's actually back. Uh, that was a huge change you know, too, because the fourth gen drives nothing like the fifth gen. Like they're barely no. even related. We have uh, he's not on the channel with us tonight, but uh, a mutual friend of mine and Craig's, mm-hmm. Justin, has had, oh, Jesus, like seven fourth gens, I think. Yeah, he has a problem. Well, and uh, the guy that we've had on our show before, Blake, has had like between third and fourth gens. He's had like what eight of them. They're yeah, just... he had a lot of third gens though, and those only come with mullets. So <laughs> they only come I in one shape, and that is gen, that's 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 a story for another day. That's a butter box. Do you have a mullet? <laughs> I will have a mullet in my car. <laughs> there you go. Um, it is my third gen mullet. I can't so say anything. That, I had a C4 Corvette, which is required to have chest hair and gold chains. So that makes actually a good segue into some of the, the better points of the 2000s. Um, I'm going to rapid fire shot off a bunch of vehicles here, and we can pick and choose which one we want to talk about them. But I really okay. do want to cover them off. Uh, 2002, sorry, 2000 was the first year of the S2000. Great car, right? Same creator from the NSX and Amazing. proves that Honda can make a real drive car and make it reliable and really fun. Uh, 2002 had the reliable WRX. A relative term. <laughs> had the, uh, Subaru had finally bought the turbo WRX to the United States. 03 is when Mitsubishi decided to bring the Evo 8. And then subsequently 04 is when the STI got brought to the U.S. 04, 03, 04 was the Cobalt Turbo. Sorry, was the Cobalt SS, which was supercharged originally, sucked real bad, went turbo, became yeah, decently real good. And then it later. Later turbo, yeah. Yep. Um, about that time in 03-ish is when we saw uh, Dodge's Neon SRT4 second gen. We're going to lightly touch on that because the Neon is technically a 90s car, but the SRT4 itself specifically, very 2000s, very turbo-y, very good. Um, the angry 03- skittle. Yeah. 0304 also saw the advent of the Terminator Mustangs. We had a bunch of earlier models between like the Mach 1 and the original or the earlier bullets and blah blah blah, but the the Terminator was stupid. And if you guys uh, have time, Savage Geese has a really good episode on 03 Terminator that he found stock in Illinois. Shocker, I know. But uh, he actually did a full review wow. on it and admits that for being 03 it doesn't suck, which it doesn't. Um in that same yeah, time uh, frame, they're still climbing in value as well. Oh yeah! Oh, totally. And then if you got the the Mystic Pearl, that's going to be thousands of dollars beyond anything else. Um, uh, for the Ford nuts out there, that by the way, that's Mystic Chrome. Mystic Chrome. Yes. Sorry, uh, I'm just a casual. What can I say? <laughs> In that time frame, we also had the uh, the Lightning truck, which is also badass in every way. Hashtag Ford. Why not bring back the Lightning? Um, and hashtag. You also had the Viper truck. For all the manufacturers out there, we need more V8 supercharged pickup trucks in the world. I, and, I, and, and Dear Ford, yeah, I understand. You about that last time. Yeah. Don't Dear care. Ford, I'm going to keep saying it. I understand you have the twin turbo <laughs> boost. That's great and all, but 
it's it needs to be a supercharged 5.0 and hashtag. Um, speaking of ridiculous trucks, the Viper truck, which is probably it still is the fastest production truck in the world, right? Um, also I'm seen not... in probably one of the most famous famous car YouTube videos ever. Yeah, as the dude in the red Ram SRT10 manages to drive it off the side of the ditch and roll yeah, it over. It. Yeah. Um, it also saw the advent of cars like the Plymouth Prowler, which were cool in paper and not in concept. Um, Almost novel because, to ask. Because <laughs> the Plymouth Prowler also I brought us... give them credit for a design exercise, though. Like, that is by far the most unique design that we've seen out of that entire decade and maybe out of the decade before it. Yeah, and it was a good execution on a modern hot rod, yeah. unlike your SSR or the HHR or the PT Cruiser. <laughs> um, in that time frame, we also saw the advent of the G8 and the G8 GXP, which is what everybody wanted, but nobody bought. That's why Pontiac died. Hashtag GM owners suck. Um, to go with that, we saw the advent of the CTS, which is Cadillac's what, midsize, Stephen, or was it a small? Uh, mid-size, I would say. To later yeah, mid-size car. Size for a little while. Yeah, and then the, the, the CTS-V. The first gen was definitely mid-size. Yeah, and then we saw the CTS-V, and then that also had the CTS-V wagon, CTS coupe, and all that good stuff. On the smaller side of the car list, and this is something I was rapid-firing as well, we got the Pontiac Solstice in the Sky. Uh, Bob Lutz brainchild very great car problem is that it was made by gm and gm can't have any competitors to the corvette so they were neutered um sidestepping with the solstice in the sky you have the nc miata in 05 i believe um two years yeah. prior in 03 was the masa speed miata which is a turbo miata goodness that correct uh 05 was the beginning of the nc miata yep uh, and then uh also, was one of the best miatas or sorry best yeah. cars and worst miata which, uh, yeah, that's a topic for another day, but I feel like it's a great car overall. Yep. Um, sharing the same architecture with the NC was also the return of the rotary to the U.S., which was the RX-8 in, I believe, 2003, maybe 2002 sold as an 03. Um, yeah. I, for one, absolutely love the vehicle. Everyone else can hate it, but me and a couple other drivers on YouTube absolutely love our RX-8s. Uh, Mazda, outside well, of rotary, also has the Mazda. <laughs> Mazda I, I also know, had I love the suicide doors. I'm, I'm yeah, kidding. dude, the clamshell what? and then 280 horsepower. It was just it was a it was a real peach. It was a niche car. It's like driving a mini. It's really niche. Didn't really do its job really well, but you drove one and you were happy about it. Um, I just I can't get with 1.3 liters and worse gas mileage than my Corvette. I have so many <laughs> questions. Um, it's not. There's just something about it. It's, it's like the whole. Uh, classic, you know, driving a slow car fast. Yeah. Driving a car that's not that fast, but it's like small and nimble and it screams like, and it wants to scream. Like there's just something fun about it. Even if you have to literally fill up constantly. Yeah. But all that saying, I would, I probably wouldn't buy one. <laughs> like yeah. it's cool, but I totally wouldn't buy one. No. Um, um, Another thing uh, that Mazda had that was great, but not rotary, was the Mazda Speed 3, which kind of gave us the, the trifecta of awesome turbo-y goodness, right? We had the Speed 3, we had the WRX, we had the Evos, and then the GTI, question mark, went turbo that time. And then 
Steven can talk about his Beetle all day long. We won't talk about Beetles, but that's a 90s car. But the Turbo Beetle at the time frame was it's kind a, of a sleeper. It's a 2000s. It's kind well, of a sleeper. The, like, Mark, I think the Mark IV, Mark IV. Uh, platform was like one of the best-selling platform vehicles of all time. Yeah. For sure, yeah. and with good reason. Uh, it, so It definitely faulted Germans' uh, tuner culture. That and Fast and Furious faulted Germans' tuner culture into something accessible. Well, the yeah, thing like is, I right? actually, I, say, I owned one as well, um, yeah. and it, it saved my life. I uh, I fell asleep in, at the wheel. Uh, it was so boring. In the morning hours, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I went off of a ditch. Um, when I went off the ditch, I like woke up. All I could see was like bushes in front of me and road to the side. <laughs> so I snatched the wheel, grazed the power pole launched it was like it went off of a two foot ditch and then launched off of like a six foot it was like differences between like the two ditches i don't know how but yeah so when i launched uh all the all we all the entire car left the ground and all four sides of the car touched the ground and i ended up okay. facing back in the opposite direction with on the driver's side and i walked away with like a few scratches from gla glass cut and that was it that is that is one good thing about the Volkswagen Auto Group products is that they are inherently reliable because they are German over American cars, which skimp on everything because they suck. Um, I will give them that. You just got to own a Greg, bring the hater aid. You, you just got to own a set of Torx bits, and which is fine. Well, there's a few more, a few more things than that, but yeah. If you have if you have a Subaru from that era, you also got to use Torx bits too, as we're finding out now. Uh, it's keep going on here so along with the advent of the the turbo beetle we also had the really rare beetle rsi which is basically a r32 golf underneath a beetle and had no reason to exist but it does and it's insanely cool other than the sheer awesomeness of it yeah it is insanely yeah, cool it was pretty damn cool if you guys don't know about the beetle v6 on the planet yep rsi uses a 3.2 liter vr um Sorry, VR6 engine that pumped out approximately 220 horsepower-ish. Had a six-speed yeah, manual gearbox, four-wheel drive, and was rumored that Porsche had helped out with suspension and dynamics of the four-wheel drive, and it was good, really good. But the yeah, thing even is, the, uh, it wasn't the really advertised. Not, not at all. It wasn't like, even available in the States. No. Yeah. yeah. It can only be imported underneath but, the uh, rear even car the thing. Mark IV R32 Golf, uh, the VR6 just sounds amazing. I don't care if it's not actually any faster than the 1.8 turbo motor. Uh, the right. VR6 sounds so that, glorious. So yeah, sorry, I, I was I was trying to kind of lean more towards that. Where like it, like we got the R32 in the states, we got you know the VR6 all-wheel drive awesomeness, but it wasn't hyped. It was not hyped anywhere near as much as like the GTI. Like yeah, right, you remember the the GTI commercials from the from that time frame. Volkswagen uh, in the house. Auto. <laughs> I love it. You remember the fast, the little yeah. black uh, animal thing. Yeah, oh, and you also got the. Uh, they had yeah. The little, they had the. Um, There's a whole like market campaign that came with those. Um, yeah, little plushies and stuff. Yep. Um, um, some other cars from that era uh, was something that gave birth to a lot of the technology now. Because it was proven right then was Tesla. 
the Tesla Roadster yeah. in like 2008, you know, it proved that an electric car can be fast. And yeah, for sure. By doing it, because I mean, all of our pre-knowledge of that was literally just Prius, you know, hybrids. Uh, let's make it, you know, super economical. And uh, Elon said, hey, you know, an electric car can be fun. And it doesn't have, you know, doesn't from, have to be a penalty. It doesn't have to be a penalty box. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and because of that, we have, you know, we have a massive amount of, you know, hi hybrids and uh, all electric super and hyper cars now uh, on top of all of Elon's stuff that he's doing. But uh, from, an, from a technological standpoint, also something we got from the 2000s was <laughs> Bluetooth. Like okay. thinking about yeah. like how all of all of our cars have Bluetooth now, like that was a thing then. Uh, my car in, in particular, uh, I found out, you know, had it was something I didn't think about until I got this vehicle. Was when Bluetooth came out, Bluetooth was hands-free only. It was just for calling. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like I can make phone calls with my Bluetooth. It connects to my car and tells me I have Bluetooth. But can I listen to music with it? No. <laughs> yeah the protocols the a, a2 i think it's the a2 protocol is the current one that was uh later when that came along where your phone could or your radio could control music being played on your phone and stuff mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's an interesting one i hadn't thought about that a couple more oddballs to throw in there of uh, sure. stuff that came out in the 2000s Mm -hmm. uh, both good and bad. Most of this list has been pretty good. I'll, uh, I mean, I would argue the S2000 on the reliable point, but yeah, I mean, I'll grant it. I have any problems out of mine. Yeah, I mean, mine also had twenty. Mine also had twenty-five thousand miles on it when I got when I had it. And yeah, then got rid of it. It's <laughs> just, yeah, it's just you didn't have it long enough. It's just a sign of what the vehicle yeah, it was a, is. It was a garage. Yeah, but uh, so another oddball though, uh, the Chevy mm -hmm. SSR. For those of you that remember it, the weird deformed pickup truck thing mm -hmm. on the Trailblazer platform. While not super popular in typical GM fashion, they brought it out with a lot of issues, fixed a lot of issues in the last year of production, and then killed it. Because that's what GM does. Mm -hmm. The uh, the tail end, the first year of it had a 5.3 and a 4L60 and just kind of looked silly and sure, whatever. The last year of production, though, they got these LS2 6 liter, the T56 Magnum out of the G8 GT or GXP. And, uh, you know, it's a folding convertible two door pickup truck ish thing with an LS2 and a manual. Like it's the sport truck that everybody says they want. Uh, yeah. Still didn't sell well, but. It's because it looked like a yeah, Beetle and a truck had sex and it came out with a Chevy engine. It was hideous. Everything was rounded. So also for those who don't know, the 2000s was like the pinnacle of the rounded, swoopy, bubbly body cars. Um, it wasn't until the very end where they got more angular. So this truck is wind tunnel designed, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny, Craig, is uh, Justin actually talked me out of it. But right before I bought my uh, diesel Silverado, I, yeah, I almost I bought a purple SSR. Bright fucking purple. I remember this too, and that probably would be worth a lot to a collector somewhere. One of the, the three people who actually want something like that. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere there's a collector that wants that. I don't know them, but what's, sure. What's 
interesting is that that SSR was also built on the same platform. It was a GMT 360, but it was a 368. It was also the same platform that brought us one of my near and dear favorite SUVs of all time, which is the Saab 97X. Oh, there you are. You're back, Craig. Hi. We lost you for a second there. No. I think it was still talking. But, uh, maybe. Yeah, the rest, the rest of the GMT group, the yep. Isuzu, the Trailblazer, the Saab. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're also a Buick in that group. Those yeah, are all so great trucks, actually. Buick Rainier, the Oldsmobile Bravada, GMC Envoy, the Trailblazer, the Isuzu Ascender, and then everyone knows about my Saab 97X love. Also, uh, in a piece of weirdness. The Envoy had a version, the Envoy XUV, with the retractable roof. Yes. Yes. Get weird. One of the very few modern-day SUV wagon-type things where you could stick a fridge straight up and down and transport it to the house versus cocking it over on the side. Something we haven't seen since the 70s. Uh, What wagon was it? The idea actually came from the 70s. You are correct. Magnante would have a fit if he knew that i forgot what it was oh man yeah the studebaker yeah, i believe is the one you're talking about it was the studebaker wagon air is the one that at least came to mind for me it had a very similar yeah. design where the roof the like the rearmost three foot or so of the roof would retract forward and then all of a sudden you, you have a truck in the on, cargo area yeah you'd have a truck yeah, on demand vertical great. wise yeah super cool yeah um among the other super cool, cool, but not quite really sold well, but kind of did, the Avalanche. Yeah, should have sold right. better, just didn't. Um, it also had one of my favorite engine and transmission combos of all time, was the 8.1 liter big block Chevy engine with the uh, 4L80 transmission. Yeah, that was only in the 2500 Avalanche, which was really poorly advertised. Like no one yep. even knew they existed for a long time. Yeah, much like twenty five hundred Suburbans. Right. Yeah. Also a great oh, also bang for your GM in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Brought us Quadra steer in the trucks. Yes, the they did. Which is also not well advertised. Uh, not very well advertised. That's true, but it was a pretty cool idea. Yeah. As trucks were getting bigger and longer and bigger and bigger. Well, I mean, as that's a way like, to that's get. Like... That's not the first time we'd seen something like that, though. We saw that through a couple of JDM cars in the 90s, and I think there's Um, the 80s as well. We did see rear steer. Vastly differently. Yeah. Yeah. But just the idea of steering. Yeah, they were using it as a handling aid, and it worked somewhat well. I mean, my Z32 had high casts, which I guess worked. (laughs) Yeah, those instantly. Instantly deleted when you want any sort of power. <laughs> uh, also true. Uh, the Chevy setup actually steered the wrong way from the front end at like parking lot speed maneuvering to reduce turning circle. Yeah. And was fantastically effective at doing so. Yep. It was almost unnatural. The uh, regular car reviews has a prelude four-wheel steering that actually goes over that exact thing. He goes in circles in a parking lot below 15 and the wheels can't inward to kind of make it zip around itself in a circle. And then at higher yeah. speed, you would see the wheels can't the uh, same way to help you laterally move left and right lanes. Yeah, maintain stability. Yeah. It's a weird oh, phenomenon. Uh, 
it feels like we're on a GM kick here, but uh, also in the 2000s, a car that I feel like was vastly ahead of its time. And uh, shout out to my lovely wife, because she actually likes these things, and she's one of the three people on the planet that do. Oh, no. (laughs) Craig knows what's coming. The uh, Pontiac Aztec, right? (laughs) I understand. That's that's most people's reaction. But uh, so it had a lot of... Uh, they they marketed it as a recreational vehicle back then, uh, probably because crossover wasn't a thing yet. But I feel like it was the first crossover that didn't know it was a crossover yet because yes. we hadn't made that a thing. Yes, it was like, also honest to God, if they if they made it today and tried to sell it, it would sell like hotcakes. Yeah. So. This is also something I think even I think, Stephen, we should actually make a topic about the advent of the, the CUV car thing and how it's slowly. Death the CUVs. That, that's my stance on that. Yeah. But um, yeah, the Pontiac Aztec was arguably a car that was actually invented and produced literally five years too early. Maybe yeah, even that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. If they had re- if they had made that exact car, I mean, maybe not the exact car, you know, with a modern, a slightly more modern engine and trans option. Right. But honestly, if they were selling that, you know, in the 0102 or sorry, 2011, 2012, instead of 0102, I think it would have sold really well. And this is the same with the Pontiac Vibe slash Toyota Matrix. They were in the weird, not quite a car, but not quite SUV, but still kind of a car thing. Um, Those vehicles are not as well known about because they actually didn't suck and they're still on the road today. That's because Toyota built them, so they didn't suck. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to bring that up. For all of you out there looking for a uh, sweet bargain, if you can find one, a Vibe GT from this era, like yes. a 07-ish, is a 2ZZ, you know, 8,000 RPM of goodness Toyota Screamer coupled to a close ratio 6-speed in a wagon. Yep. The equivalent would be Great the Matrix, um, X- Matrix XRS. SXRS, yeah. And you have to get the XRS version, not the XS, because it has to have the, the 2ZZ manual. Yeah, the 2ZZ and the 6-speed make that car. It's pretty ridiculous. Steven's done great things with the 2ZZ engine. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. I had a Corolla XRS, which was even poor, even more poorly advertised. Because Toyota's like, hey, we're going to make a sporty Corolla and then tell no one about it. Well, that was... That, given the time frame, though, remember what else was like announced during that time frame, right? That was Scion. So everything was all Scion, Scion, Scion. I None think of which somebody... got the 2ZZ. Yeah, they got the, the 2AR, Jesus. right? The big one. Yeah. Yeah, the 2.4 liter. Um, But somebody in Toyota was like, hey, this would be kind of a cool knickknack. And somehow they snuck it through corporate. I don't know how, but... Yeah, it is still it is still a very dynamic car to drive to this day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, uh, another good tidbit just about the era, right? So this would have been the tail end of cars that didn't... I think uh, ABS was required somewhere in the mm-hmm. late 90s. Yeah. But the 2000s, you could still get cars that didn't have traction control or stability control. This is or true. Or tire man. pressure monitoring. Yep. Yeah. And uh, hell, actually, the 2ZZ was one of the examples of the last couple of cars that still had a cable throttle. Yeah, that's right. Um, the advent of OBD2 so and of... Canbus changed all that. Yeah, it was a it was Canbus car, but it still had a cable throttle, and it was still, uh, I guess, what you would call analog in feel. 
And I think that's a big thing in the 2000s, right? That was... Uh, we had finally gotten computers, like, kind of good. Because I'll be honest, and Kevin knows this, I know, and I know you do too, Craig, <laughs> that uh, fuel injection from the 90s and just ECMs and wiring in general were uh, not not great. Nah. We've all dealt with our share of, share of problems from that era. Right. Right. And speaking of fuel injection, you know, we also saw um, now we have started having port injection. Right. And, That's what I'm and, talking about. Like the, uh, the 2000s, most of, most of the 2000s fuel injection systems and ECMs and timing control all just 99% of the time works good. Yeah. And they're works. definitely, they're you lasting. To, you don't but... have to mess with it. You don't yep. have to deal with it. It just works. And when a sensor goes bad, the ECM tells you, hey, this sensor is bad and you change it. And then it continues working again. They've it's lasted the whole yeah, like twenty year old car nowadays isn't really that bad. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. That's something uh, me and Craig have talked about. On I don't know if we talked about it on air before, but we've definitely talked about it. That people talk about how uh, how expensive the bottom end of the used car market is, and that's true to a certain extent. But so you think about it in nineteen ninety. If you were buying a 20-year-old car, or say somewhere in the 90s, right? You'd be buying an early 70s car, which at that point would be 20 years old with, uh, let's say, 100, 120,000 miles on it. Uh, turns yep. out most everything from the 70s at that point is just a flaming pile of junk. By the yep. time it's got 100 plus on it. Uh, nowadays, yep. it's 2020 right now. Uh, so if you wanted to go buy something 20-ish years old, you'd be looking at a, a 01 to maybe 03. With, uh, once again, maybe 150k on it. Yep. There's a lot of stuff right now that you could go buy for, I'd say, under two grand. From the, maybe two to three grand from the uh, 2000 to 2003-ish era. That I would, honest to God, daily. Like, no problem. Yeah, and I think you guys talked a lot about that uh, in one of your segments. Uh, where you had, like, I think, like a 10000 or $5,000 car segment. Yes. Yeah. And we talked, yeah, we we talked about the... The WRXs and uh, you know all you know there's just there's just a plethora of, of cars from that re- from that time frame. Yeah, but my thing and is just that also, those those cars at higher mileage and at I guess the current age of twenty years old, they're not flaming piles of shit yet. They're still decent cars to be around. Yep. Yeah. As and opposed to it, most everything from the seventies, by the time it was twenty years old, was just an absolute pile of garbage. There's also the advent that a 20 year old car nowadays would still most likely have powered door locks, air conditioning. You know, if they don't have an audio jack, they still have the provisions for something that allows you to put in a CD little cassette reader type thing. Like you get oh, ABS. Yeah. Like the, I was uh, talking cassette jack to phone adapter. Yeah. For those of us that grew up in that era. I still have one. So, so... Yeah, so mine doesn't have cassette or aux port, and I'm oh, like, no, nope, no aux port. So I had to actually go get you know, and but you know, thankfully with you know technology like the FM transmitters now are you know super nice, super awesome. You know, oh yeah. They, they, so I have no problem uh, listening to my music. You know, just plug in the FM transmitter and I'm good to go. <laughs> That's funny though. I remember my first reaction uh, 
this was uh, right after, but I say right around the tail end of 2000s, 08, 09, somewhere in there, is when you started seeing new vehicles that didn't have uh, an audio receptacle at all. No CD player, no tape deck, no nothing. Mm-hmm. They've gone to just uh, a USB port and Bluetooth, and that's how you're expected to... Because CDs are dead. Cassettes died when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it's true, man. One thing I also want to bring up, and this is kind of the, the one thing that a bunch of car guys like us should be talking about, but we haven't, but it was also the change of performance and horsepower figures from striving to beat 300 as kind of like the hallmark or even 400 and now completely obliterating it with a factory car. Um, I wanted to bring up this. I want to bring up the Mustang as a good scale for that, right? We go into the 2000s and we have a 5.0, right? The earliest iteration yeah. of your um, SN95s were still Fox body chassis 5.0s, which had all of what 220 horsepower. Um, uh, yeah, something like that. The first two it, years, the SN95 had the last two years of the 5.0 in them. Yeah. Actually, I think I'm too far ahead. I think that was 97, so we won't talk about that. But into the 2000s, we had the two-valve mod motor non-PI, which was all of, like, I think 240 horsepower or something like that. Um, uh, I think that might be a little high. <laughs> that, that might be a little happy, right? Someone's going to correct us. But in 05, sorry, in 04 and 03, we had these concept cars and this, you know, whispers about a redesigned Mustang. And 05 hit and gave us the S197, which is a lovely vehicle. Um, that gave us a 315 sure. horsepower three valve, right? Um, my uncle has the 0708 Bullet Edition, which is just glorious in every way, and it is a proper muscle car or pony car. Some people might hawk against that. 2010, they did a redesign, and then in 2011, we had Ford finally anting up to the 5.0, which yeah, had we- I think 360 horsepower at the time. In this time yeah, frame, talk- between the 05 Mustang. And the 2011 redesign plus the new engine, Chevrolet steps back into the picture, I think in 07, 408, with their LS-powered yeah. Camaro, which also offered 300 and some horsepower. Suddenly, that that 300 horsepower goal and the 400 horsepower like dreams was now almost too, un, too obtainable, right? Like, we had now stepped past the 300s and went straight to 400. Um. <laughs> And now where everything has to be pretty much, if it's going to be performance based, it needs to be 500 horsepower. Yeah. If it's not a, if it's not a Miata. Interesting. Yeah. Or it has to weigh less than 3000 pounds. Right. And then it would be a a fun zippy car. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. With this advent too, we also, yeah. With this advent too, we also have, and I have to touch on this before I turn it over to you guys for kind of final thoughts and summaries. The BMW crowd knows that I'm missing out on one of the best BMWs of all time. Both the E46 as well as E90s made their appearance in the 2000s, and that went from a 260 horsepower M3 from the earlier generation now to a 330 horsepower and possibly one of the best, the last best organic feeling cars, hydraulic steering, you know, big meaty steering wheel, great transmission. And in the 2000s, 08 specifically we had a giant market crash and that kind of also ended the advent of the organic visceral feeling car and led us to these all computerized electronic everything's let's fall apart after 100,000 mile vehicles 
pretty much everybody nowadays is playing around with some variant of a turbocharged inline two liter four cylinder. Yeah, because that it just works well. And it yeah. makes, you know, it makes the numbers it needs to make. It moves the vehicle. But none of those are what I would call interesting or fun. Unless they it's a kind of do the job. <laughs> Unless it's what? The Veloster N with the pops and bangs. Thank you, Albert. Pops and bangs. Yes. Yeah. Or uh, the, the Fiat uh, Barth, 500 Barth. Yes. Yeah, but that's the, like the angriest hamster, so it's okay. Yeah. The, uh, the, the change through the 2000s also, and this can be actually shadowed back with Honda, would be the advent of their, I think, 8th Gen Civic, which was the last of the high-revving NA VTEC power screaming goodness. Yeah to the flying the, the the flying sack of garbage that the ninth gen was with their lazy non vtex single word cam engines trying to pass yep. as an SI and then immediately jumping oh, yeah, that's into right. that was the SI without VTEC, right? Yep. yep. And then jumped into the next generation which became a one point six liter with turbo, also non VTEC. So like the two thousands yeah. had some really baller cars, really baller technology, but also we cut out about one third of what made awesome cars awesome for technology for sure also it marked uh for me at least the 2000s marked and uh i mean we may catch some hell here but uh automatic transmissions becoming better than manuals uh, numbers wise now i wouldn't i wouldn't i would i would i would also fight on steven's side for this too the automatics went from being kind of to now like the advent of the eight speed zf which i think is still 2010 ish but the design you know, the six plus seven plus gears now make your automatics stupid fast. Um, comes to head, the Evo was one of the first cars that actually proved that to the tuner culture. I think that though, Steven was 2011, therefore it's not. Yeah, the those were a little <laughs> bit newer, but I'm talking about all through this era, all through the 2000s. Uh, yeah. Right. Heading into the 2000s, we had pretty much everything with exception of like some super high end stuff, but 99% of the stuff you see on the street running either a four or five speed conventional torque converter auto Mm -hmm. uh, that was just kind of acceptable. Right. And that's all you could really say about it. It was acceptable. Right. Well, no new any better. We had the old three speed and four speed autos, right? (laughs) Right. And then leaving the two thousands, right. We're dealing with the mostly, I would say five and six speed autos that Mm -hmm. were all computer controlled and really, you know, even though they're still torque converter based autos, they're they're good you know what i mean uh like chevy went from the 4l60 being in basically everything in a 99 2000 era mm-hmm. to i believe the 6l80 was in pretty much everything by 09 or yeah by 09 yeah they would have put the 6l80 for... in pretty much everything um also good. in 07 uh, this is for Tyler, one of our Audi buddies or Volkswagen buddies. But um, in 07 is when the DSG Volkswagen was, guy. Yeah. came out, and that was your electronically controlled dual clutch transmission. Right. DSG box. Which, yes, yeah, it has clutches, but no clutch pedal. Like, blow my mind. What's that, Kevin? As I was going to actually say, I was going to mention that uh, was just, we really saw like uh, another rise in DCTs like throughout that era where it started becoming more popular again and throughout the the BMW uh, platform mostly. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The autos became PDK from Porsche. Yep. Yep. But it became, Uh, uh, this this was the time frame where an auto in a sporting car 
was no longer seen as the the penalty box like oh you could only get the auto like yeah, it was yeah, actually was slug yeah. yeah oh i'm sorry you poor bastard I mean, that was legitimately um, our take in the night. I mean, we all grew up in the nineties, right? That was your take when you saw a sports car with an auto in the nineties was like, ah, oh, well that, that kind of sucks. Yeah, you yeah. kind of wasted an opportunity there. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, like we said, the PDK, your DSGs come out and all of a sudden these autos are faster in arguably yeah. every way other than being, they're better in every way other than, you know, Sometimes you could argue reliability, sure, but any idiot with a, a, a manual car is going to burn up their clutch, and that's that you could say that's not reliable. But it was definitely sure. the advent of autos don't suck anymore. They also don't consume, you know, as much horsepower as the old, you know, Power Glide two speeds that would take like thirty percent of your flywheel horsepower, right? Yeah, they've yeah. gotten they've gotten really good. Um. I'm trying to also uh, think, Stephen. One last shout out for deaths in uh, the 00 to 09 era. Yeah. Right on the tail end. Uh, Craig, I'm sorry. This was the death of the Panther. Yeah. Uh, technically speaking, the Panther got sold all the way through 2011, but I'll allow this because public only, use was only, only for nine. <laughs> yep. I will allow so it, though, because. sold to governments. So. And, uh, and uh, I think I ran of all places. But uh, yeah, 09 was the last of the civilian sold Panther chassis, which is wonderful in every way. Another death, Stephen, we didn't bring this up, and we should have being GM heads, kind of, sort of. Uh, Pontiac. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin made mention of it that the the Aztec was why they died, which might also be possible. I don't know. (laughs) But I think also one of their last great vehicles that they had was the G8. But was the G8 really a Pontiac or was it a Commodore? It was Fair a Commodore. Point. Both of yeah. their last two vehicles, right? The tail end of Pontiac was the mm-hmm. G8 and the GTO, neither one of which were actually Pontiacs. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I feel like I remember from that time frame, you know, when you started looking at uh, what you could get uh, as far as like a performance car wise, that was that 40 ish, 35 ish thousand dollar price range. And the, the G8 was what you wanted. It was four doors. It was big V8. It was just as fast, if not faster, than the Camaro. Uh, I mean, and and it was four doors, more uh, people. So I got got a question. Everybody knows the rest of the phrase. We're going to keep that PG-13 on the air. Exactly. People. Yeah. I got to remind you guys, though, being the, I guess, Mopar head of the group, what happened back in 04, 03, 04? Uh, I don't know. Enlighten us, uh, Dulcich. Was was the return of the Dodge Hemi and the Magnum and the Charger, the original Ooh, the four door dad bod vehicle, right? Yeah, Once I again, will admit the SRT8 Magnum. Uh, I still have kind of a soft spot for the dad rod. <laughs> I, I do too. Um, I think honestly, it's 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 like the greatest part about the Magnum was the Hemi and the six one. And it was also like the worst part about it. Like it was <laughs> the thing awesome, is the interior, right, but it was so bad. Like if you've been in one, it's so bad. Oh, mm-hmm. easily early two thousands plastic garbage. Yep. And they weren't very, uh, performance mod friendly. Uh, 
It's it's They're purely because it's a Hemi. Purely because it's a Dodge. If it was a Chevy LS in there, yeah. people would have modified it to the world and back. Yeah, I was gonna say there are people that do stuff with the six liter with all of the Gen. Was that Gen three Hemi's? Yeah, technically, yeah, yeah, ish. Gen three ish. Yeah, people mod them, but yeah, they are kind of harder to modify. But uh, my God, they sound good. And it's just ostentatious, right? It's a 4,000 pounds, the beginning of the 4,000 pound muscle cars, but it's 4,000 pound, 425 horsepower, sits five people, right? Has luggage for two dogs, plus all the luggage for the six people. Like th- th- this thing is, it was ridiculous. And then Chevy doing exactly what Chevy always does, which is copying other people. They try to bring over the G8 and be like, hey, we bought a sporty sedan as well, but completely would you say, Stephen, they actually advertised it at all compared to the CTS? Not even a little, dude. I don't remember ever seeing an advertisement for either the GTO or the G8. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's another car from GM that, like, you had the Camaro that died, and then we rolled over to the GTO, which is arguably is a, a Holden uh, Monero, I think. Yeah. Or, or the Vauxhall VR, v, VXR. VXR, 8. yeah. If you guys from England know which one, please shoot us because it's something. But like those two vehicles are not American born, but they tried to keep Pontiac alive. But Chevy being Chevy botched it up for the lack of better terms. And I absolutely, this is why, this is why we need to have that. I hate GM discussion like for GM and Mopar also on my kill list for like why they're sucking right now. But um, <laughs> GM always does this, right? They did it with the Mustang. They did that with like the Mustang came out and then all of a sudden the Camaro came out. You have the Magnum and the Charger from Dodge. Great move. Great job. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, G8, here it is. This is super cool. Like, screw off, guys. Like, come out with something on your own. The Solstice, the Sky, right? It's just a Miata. That's all it is. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll argue there. The Sky is way cooler than a Miata. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Power. No. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, the... The Pontiac Solstice and the Sky came in two engine trims. Both of them arguably were faster than the NC at the time, which was the equivalent of what would be sold. We won't talk about the SLK at the time because Mercedes kind of just does their own thing and they make money. Blows my mind. Crossfire! What? Yeah. Um, was a Crossfire even in the same group? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. You want to talk about a nugget group. nobody talks the about anymore? Is, the Crossfire is the same thing as an SLK 320. It's yeah. literally the same thing. You want to talk about a nugget? Uh, that Crossfire SRT6 from 04. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much everybody tried to forget about that. No, no, can't be forgotten about it. It's, a, it's the supercharged V6. Like, what's not to love? With it's auto. basically a yeah. T-Bird. Uh, the Cummins guys actually love the badges off of them. They try to get the <laughs> SRT6 badges. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, for those of you who probably don't know about the solstice or the sky they came in two engines one of them was na one of them was turbocharged um the design head behind it was bob lutz who does great things in the automotive world he has his own he's he's like a modern day lee iacocca maybe to a lesser degree more performance based but great guy um that was his brainchild and unfortunately like i said earlier in this taping GM has a problem with anything that might compete against the Corvette sales, and they also don't advertise with the shit, and their ideas aren't unique. I'm sorry. A lot of haterade coming from Craig today. I just... And for our European listeners, listeners, they they bashed it as the Opel GT. Yeah, and Opel had... 
So we still get. We, 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 I mean, that was uh, another uh, car manufacturer that just like died in the states that you know offered such a unique uh, perspective from the GM platform way back in like the seventies and eighties. But then they killed them off, and they did. And then the GM did the exact same thing to Pontiac in the two thousands. And yeah. and here's. Here's the annoying thing about that, too. I'm glad you brought up the Opel GT because Opel actually had one of the most badass, not MR2, but MR2 remakes. And it was based off of the Lotus Elise, right? Everyone knows about Opel mm-hmm. and the GT and the Opel Speedster, but they also had the Vauxhall VX2200. And these were mid-engine rear-wheel drive sport coupes. And then also the Opel GT comes out that's built off this bastardized soft top convertible thing. And sales tanked on it. It wasn't any good. And the old, old Speedster was awesome. It was a badass car. Uh, for some of you younger guys, you might have to get on like fours or four or five and try to find one because I don't know if they're in any modern games anymore. Uh, uh, you know what else? You know what else died in uh, this era that I just thought about? Uh, go ahead. Mercury, the entire company. Oh. So... A vehicle that's near and dear to my heart, and I know everyone knows about the Panther chassis, and I'll bring it up again. You had the 03, 04 Mercury are you Marauder. Are a 40-year-old dad with new balances on? I don't know. <laughs> I, go, I go barefoot in the yard. But uh, the, the Panther chassis had one cool model, and arguably it was, I wouldn't say the equivalent of the Grand National compared to the base Regal G-bodies. But Ford tried to do something cool with Mercury's brand before deciding nobody cared about Mercury anymore. And uh, that's inevitably actually, I think, why Ford killed it. I think Ford was trying to raise their own luxury up, and they had their top tier Lincoln, and Mercury kind of, yeah. kind of didn't have a place to exist anymore. Much yeah. like Chrysler, cough. <laughs> well, what's crazy is that you know we get these many these auto manufacturers that have these unique um, cars like the Marauder that was its own thing that they didn't have it in either Ford or in Lincoln uh, respectively. But when they killed all of Mercury, they didn't bring over those potential auto sales. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, well now we we saw that's a discussion uh, that's happened recently. Uh, Chevy's been talking about going to a four door uh, Corvette to have a sporty. But we already did that. With, yeah. We did that with the SS. Yeah. And we saw how well that sold because it's, what do they do? They made this awesome motor, awesome four door platform, and then they put a $50,000 price tag on it, and everyone went, I can't afford that. $50,000 right. price tag, and then didn't like, advertise it outside of NASCAR. <laughs> and Yeah. And they also put SS as the name. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's not a name, <laughs> FYI, GM. That's, that's not a name. That's, that's, that's a trim a, level. A trim level. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, everybody, everybody, especially because they're still selling the Impala, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. Why wouldn't you just yeah. remake this four-door thing into the new Impala SS? Because that would be awesome. Yeah. I, and as someone who owned a 96 Impala SS, like, it was an awesome big body land yacht. And, but, you know, Chevy was doing it, but and when I look, every time I looked at the SS, I went, "Why won't Ford put the freaking five O in a four door? It would be amazing. It would sell, but no, they won't do it." 
What's funny is, uh, outside of the States, the vehicle that you just requested existed uh, all mm-hmm. through this era. The Ford Falcon didn't That's die right. uh, in the rest of the world. It only died here in the States. So the Falcon, yeah. uh, as it used to be, was Mustang-based, mm-hmm. and all through the rest of the world continued to be Mustang-ish with a rear-wheel drive. Once again, our Australian friends get uh, some awesome you know, cars to hoon. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, all through the 2000s, the Falcon in Australia came with the Barra, uh, otherwise known as Good. Yes. Uh, the Barra. Rear-wheel drive, turbocharged, inline six-cylinder goodness. What's What's interesting to bring up on that is that Australia has really stringent laws about modifications. If you guys have watched anything along the lines of Mighty Car Mods, you know about the loopholes about modifying your car, having to get it re-registered or re uh re-engineered and then re- to register it yeah yeah they call it engineered which is actually a legit i think is actually a legit method of proving a car is still good after you touch it with a wrench but because of that yeah, at least there you can modify it you just have to prove that you haven't made it worse yeah and because cool. of that kind of market oh. and stigma they get these super performancey cars from manufacturers because they know that people are more likely to buy a car that has a supercharger or a blower on it versus trying to throw it on themselves they have this is also a 2000s vehicle they have one of the coolest uh i don't think it's a camry but i'm not sure it's an avalon they have one of the coolest toyotas that nobody knows about and that's the toyota Aurus. it's like 360 front wheel drive supercharged v6 goodness and it's just badass i'll find a picture for you guys but like this went to australia and only australia and didn't go anywhere else and it made it made me think about that when you guys were all ford falcony yeah. Um, what else? Charged. It's funny. Toyota. Aris. <laughs> and and in this man, we just I love the two thousands vehicles. I take a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride in guys from the the eighties with the JDM culture and the seventies, I guess, with the European and JDM like advent starting to become a thing. Um there's the muscle car groups from the sixties. Nobody nobody likes the seventies. I, yeah. I, I still argue you have two generations of 70s, the 70s right? 70s have, doesn't like can, the 70s. Here, here's have, something else we can kind of uh, lean more into. Um, we talked, you know, earlier about you know my R51 Pathfinder, but the things that Nissan was bringing throughout the mid 2000s. Oh yeah, because uh, and I'll even apologize, right? Because the last the last cast, right, the teens, I pretty much shredded Nissan for the entirety of 2010 2020 because they didn't make anything good. Right, but, but uh, in two thousand, they brought yeah, us, they made a lot of goodness. Us, yeah, but honestly, like the two thousand three, two thousand four were not great three fifty Zs. Like the, they didn't have the the high output motor. The transmissions had issues. But it's, like you got to put it in context, CDs, though. Yeah, what well, was out at the time? What else was out? Yeah, you, you had, had a, a two hundred. Right? So they were competing with the RX eight, which, I mean, yeah. That's that's not a competition. 200, uh, 240 sorry, horsepower Greg. versus 260. And then you had the S2000, which is 240 horsepower. Again, versus 260. The Mustang, 240 horsepower against, again, 260. Like, the right. Z was good and on, back then. Both yeah, the yeah, S2, yeah, yeah. S2 and the RX-8 made no the, torque. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, like, when it came out, it was great, but it just needed a few more years of redefining it. it those classic, like, first-year jitters. Um, right. 
like, I feel like it was really actually a good entry. From today's, you know, from, from like trying to, if it's so like, I know if I'm like picking up one, if I'm picking up one, um, I'm probably going to avoid a 2003 and 2004 and I would oh, probably yeah, you lean the, more uh, towards the 2005 or later. Was uh, that the up rev for, motor? Again, like I mentioned, yep, the up rev, the, the high rev and the uh, HR, yeah, the HR motor and the, um, the CD009 got a kind of a redesign to help with some of the early few year woes that it had. Uh, and those those transmissions you can pick up for a dime a dozen, and they're like and they're super tough. Items. Yeah, people super use them in tough. swaps for everything. Uh, the the biggest problem with the CD09 is the size of it. It's a huge transmission. Um, but as far as I mean, like, that's a relative uh, term. It's smaller than a T56 6060. <laughs> true, but I think I think um, from it, it's it's pretty long, uh, respectively. Yeah, uh, and. From that, also, it just takes like a lot of the things that I see it being swapped into. It takes a little extra massaging. Like I was also someone who owned an O1 IS300 that had uh, an Aristo swapped 2J in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I actually had a T56 behind mine, but I knew like when guys were doing those those manual swaps because the manual transmission that came with the IS300 was garbage. Uh, it, it held like as the W58, right? The five-speed. Yep. Yep, the W158. Um, some people do one, the R154 swaps into them, and those things held pretty good. But even the like the super beefy ones would kind of break around. You know, like nowadays, the super beefy ones will still break around like 700 ish. So uh, over the last few years, people either switched to the CD09s or they've switched to the T56s. I'm sorry, TJ problem. TJ problems. It only holds 700 horse. It's weak. Yeah, I was about to say like, oh, it's it's a manual transmission that holds 700 horsepower and shares the internals with the AX15, which is used for off-roading, and it breaks around 700 horsepower. Like, come on, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not a V160. We get it. (laughs) Yeah, but but two J boys. (laughs) And personally, that that was my biggest problem with my IS300. I got the two J bite. I got the two J bug. Like, I upgrade one part. And one part was like, oh, I could buy the 500 horsepower part, or I could pay a few more dollars and get the 1,000 horsepower part. And it's like, you just keep doing one thing after the other. Like one of the first things I had to upgrade when I got the car was my clutch. I was like, well, I'm not about to put a weak-ass clutch in here. I'm going to put something that you know will outhold the motor. And that included a twin disc. <laughs> Two J-Boys so, in the house. Uh, and so when I put a twin disc in it, that turned my whole build from like, you know, a little 500 horsepower, uh, you know, and I had the non-VVTI uh, Aristo 2J, so like the good, a good 2J, but I needed, I needed to be able to hold all the power, even though I wasn't planning on making all the power, well, that, that changed very quickly. <laughs> and I started shooting for more. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so while we're talking about awesome 2JZ stuff, which was actually very much an, uh, a precursor of the, the Toyota like outgo, I think, before they got bland, was your awesome turbo goodness of the, the 90s and into the early 2000s. I have found... It was a good last gasp for them. It was. I have found the most ridiculous Toyota, I believe, that exists, and you guys probably never heard of it, and I apologize for earlier calling it an Aris. It is the Toyota TRD Arion. Specifically, the 3500S. What? A little specs here. Ar- Ar- Arian. Arian? 
Yeah, like Orion. It is. It is 323 horsepower from a supercharged V6 and only exists in Australia. And for the love of God, Toyota, why? And second off, sign me up. And it looks it looks like an M3 competitor. It really does. Like, I don't know why it exists. I, this thing could go probably toe-in-toe with the G8. And we never got it. It would probably sell better than a G8. Sick. <laughs> Toyota moments, man. Toyota moments. Dude. Yeah, well- and and Toyota likes testing these things. So when with the yeah. with Lexus, um, like they had for the IS three hundred, you know that was their tuner car. Uh, yeah, and it was it was only around from oh one to two thousand and four. But in two thousand and two, they introduced L tune, which was supposed to be like TRD. But they like hey, we they, the way they tested it though is is it wasn't. It, it, it was like an option, but it wasn't super well advertised. It was only for one year. And what it ended up actually being was a dealer um, add-on. So the dealer got all the parts, and it was like wheels, body kit, and intake and exhaust. And then like a couple yeah, of interior like, uh, That's like no what turbo. F-Sport is now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it, 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 you know, they had a lot of potential there for doing something cool. But uh, didn't stick with it, didn't put it in, and just made it like you know a dealer spec. Since then, I think that's just like Toyota puts all of its performance into TRD, and then everything else just gets kind of like, hey, let's test this over here, and it of course, doesn't really fly. I think the exact issue is that though, like when you buy yourself a Lexus outside of the F stuff nowadays, but like when you buy a Lexus, you don't care about lower body kits and fascias and all that that was a, a trd rollover to to lexus which e- even in the 2000s was still a relatively new brand right it was a thing i think in right. the 90s when they started separating it off and like i really don't think i think it failed because of the buyer market even though the is 300 is a great car we didn't get the turbocharged model um we didn't get the turbo four i should say and they only sold like three years of the manual and it was just not aimed for that segment it was we also very much like the wagon here. Yeah, the sport pack, which is super cool, um, or the sport design, I should say. Um, it was very much like the Lincoln LS. Like you have all the fixings for a great vehicle here, but then you didn't support it with any of the 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 guys who would actually get excited about it, right? Like, like somehow the design engineers who get excited about cars did not work on that car, right? They yeah. worked on something else right. at the time, and then this vehicle came out and was like, oh, well, we could have made this cool, but you didn't give us a chance. Uh, yeah, man, but, but also, like, I think the, the all of the IS-300 died in, um, I misspoke earlier when I said 2004, it's just 2005. Yeah. They did introduce the IS-350. And right. that it's wasn't a bad car. Like, it's not a bad car, but, but it's, it's not, not the same. They, good either. <laughs> And, and you think about from there on, like, we haven't thought about Lexus, I mean, probably even then, but Lexus as a performance-based car. Like, they have their F-Sports, they have uh, a couple models, you know, in the last few years that have been more fun. But even still, they're a luxury brand that's just trying to be fast. They're not quite AMG. They're, yeah, so, they're not quite M Division. Yeah, me and Greg or talked M-Division. about that the other day for Lexus. Uh, and the world can hate this, whatever. It's a little off topic, but I don't care. Uh, 
I think that the LC, the Lexus LC slash RC 500, should have been the basis of the new Supra. Okay. Yep. Like, why contract it out to Beamer? Like, Toyota already had a sweet, sweet sounding V8 in house and a rear wheel drive two door chassis. Like, the Supra wasn't supposed right. to be a Miata competitor. You know, it's kind of a GT car, a bigger, larger car. Yeah. There you go. Take like RC 500 and strip all the, uh, you know, excessive Lexus luxury out of it. Then put like, I don't know, cloth seats or whatever and cut down well, on the baggage. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the super awesome tech of those modern day Lexuses now, you know, it involves like active sway bars, right? Uh, four wheel steering or four wheel, you know, angular movement or on the fly suspension changes. Like, the adjustments in the shocks that we see nowadays that are hitting even lower base cars, the magnahedral or mag ride uh, yeah, shocks. Because no one can say that fucking word. Right. Um, Lexus has in all of their super uber brands, but we know this from the Supra, right? The the four-cylinder stripper model, you take that out and you drop 200 pounds. Um, and yeah. like the RC350, which is one of the cars that I absolutely love to look at, is also known for being kind of lackluster to drive because it only makes 310 horsepower, which is enough. But like enough say, is, uh, you know, you could have bought that instead of a Mustang. I'm just saying. Right. But 310 horsepower in that versus my manual stick shift Mustang that is going to inevitably pound around a track a lot faster and be a lot cheaper to kind of upkeep. Um, but you and have to look at it and go, damn, that's pretty. Yeah. But like if I wanted to buy a sway bar for my Mustang, I have... Ford Performance Parts, for one, that has their own bits, and then I have Eibach and I have Whiteline. I have all these brands that have support for it versus the RC, which might have might have TRD, which might be just Eibach. I don't know. It's to me they're they're not even they're not even in the same category of comparison for me. Like the RC would be like it would be a car that I would drive every day, and at that point, why would I pick a two door? And I think that's that's the issue that Lexus has with a lot of their modern because day cars. Two doors are awesome. Yeah, but getting back from the tangent, like we, yeah. we like, uh, let's let's bring it back to the two to the two thousand yeah. instead of you well, know sorry twenty twenty. But it's exactly uh, that Toyota and Lexus did try. They do a lot of the testing waters things, and I think that was a huge thing all the way up until about oh eight, and then all of a sudden it was like uh, drop the hammer, split the two. You know, the only thing we're going to test now is what can we do with Scion, and even then by oh eight it was like. We have these four cars. We're going to kill one of them because of low sales. And then I think 08, 09 was when they were starting to rumor the the FRS, the BRZ uh, sports car. And they hyped that up for like seven years. <laughs> um, also, thinking about the, uh, like the car, the brands that like, you know, the testing the waters and the brands that like came and left in the 2000s. Uh, Hummer. Yeah, they got the H2, <laughs> the H3, and the oh, H3T, yeah. and oh, then they yeah. died because of the you know 2008 financial crash. I mean, let's not get carried away. That's not the only reason they died. The <laughs> H2 had they no, were absolutely horrible. The H2 had no reason to exist in the world. Um, well, the H3, you know I'm not existed? super familiar with it. <laughs> well, they existed so that people could write them off and be big ballers and you know, yeah. call it as a company uh, vehicle. 
So, Stephen, for a little history on the H3 and for everyone else out there, the H3 was actually built off of the GMT 345 platform, which shares the underpinnings with the Colorado and Canyon trucks. And so Humber decided just to take those underpinnings and then drop an SUV body on it, which was woefully underpowered. But interestingly enough, it could be had with a 5.3 V8, which is cool. And yep. in some ways, markedly better than the H2 gas guzzler king of excess that doesn't deserve to exist. It's yeah, yeah, crazy. I, mean, I actually, I actually kind of have a small soft spot for the H3Ts. Like mm-hmm. there was just an interesting look about them. Um, it was a short bed. Um, it's still, it was still a Hummer and it still had the 4060, but uh, it was, it was, you know, if you, if you got the five, three, you at least had a, had a good motor. Uh, it's just the fact that you could get it with a five cylinder, was just kind of like, a why it's definitely not going to be fuel efficient. It's just going to be underpowered. Right. And that five-cylinder has the same architecture with the inline-six, which is one of GM's greatest 2,000 motors of all times. But during that time frame also, they were doing the redesigns on the LS to make it better and better, and there was no need for it. Like, they could have put they could have put a 300-horsepower inline-six in that HT and actually had a pretty decent ride, right? But why do that when you can have a 300-horsepower V8? Speaking of uh, stuff that died in the 2000s, GM's Atlas whole line died whole line of engines oh yeah yeah born and died in the 2000s right yep yes sir uh which the five cylinder i'll grant was uh, a little weird and not that awesome but uh the four and six cylinder atlas engines are both actually pretty great and i feel like we're woefully underappreciated uh so i've actually started to see a couple of those um start to make it into some swaps um, when people yes. are looking for like an affordable swap uh, and the like the 4200 you know yeah. was, would actually will actually start making good power and it actually surprisingly will hold uh, five it holds boost fairly well without without yeah uh, per turbo on there uh, put some boost in it and it it, it makes good power um and GM made approximately a bajillion of them, so they're all they over did. the place. They did, yeah. So if you don't want to do an LS swap, but you oh, they're uh, way you don't want, and you can't, and you can't afford a two J swap. Atlas they're actually well, way cheaper than LS swaps. Honest God, dude. Yeah, and they run off the same yeah, uh, software. Yeah, that the same LS ECM, does. same trans. Uh, but yeah, two wheel drive. Like you can, honest to God, buy a destroyed you know rolled over or something like that just damaged uh base model six-cylinder trailblazer for like 500 bucks they're worth nothing you don't even have to buy a rolled over one steven they have brilliant transmission ones that are sold for like 700 bucks and all you gotta do is fix the servo on the transmission and it works like you get a running driving in in decent shape ones like with all their body panels attached and stuff yeah like the vehicle is still worth something when it's running Uh, it's crazy how little those things are worth Pruitt doesn't know this, but I have, and the rest of the world is going to realize my dastardly plans here. I am not a man who is loyal to any one brand of cars, right? One manufacturers. Um, I'm loyal to good cars. They come from good places. Yeah, yeah, I do enjoy what Mercedes does on a daily basis. Uh, whatever, Ford one, probably not. I do mostly like what Ford does, mostly. Um, notoriously, you know, been an avid Subaru, Nissan, Mazda fan. 
But and I, I got my thing for Mopar. I think kind of every kid inside of us has a thing for Mopar. No, nope, um, nope, that's just you, Craig. <laughs> but what I would do is I would take a uh, a nineteen a nineteen sixty eight to nineteen sixty nine Dart two door, and I would actually drop in the underpinnings from a Trailblazer or an Envoy with that inline six. They call it the Ameribera, right? It's a four point two liter inline six. Swap that in with the four L sixty and put in the the Ford eight eight. Um, from the Explorer because it fits the Dart A body frame real well, and you have yourself hey, a peppy thing. little. Comes from the two thousands, the Ford eight eight out of the Explorer, the most common swap axle ever. Yep. Yeah, um, unfortunately, the eight eight is not a two thousands, but <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I think the, the Explorer eight eight is actually one. It goes back to the nineties, doesn't it? The thirty one spline Explorer one does it? Maybe it does. I don't think so. Yeah. Wow. But anyways. <laughs> That's my idea for like a ratty, like muscle car type thing. And it's not even a muscle car. I'm, I'm hashtag team super six these days. And that would be kind of like the, the low book. I want a really cool old muscle car type thing, but like modern turnkey reliable goodness. And it would make a lot of people mad, but 300 horsepower, 300 horsepower, right? Especially from an inline six. Wow. That goes back further than I thought. It goes all the way back to 91. Jesus. Yeah. So the eight, eight's been around for a while, but like, but you get the idea, right? Like, yeah, for sure. You take that motor, pay a 460 custom drive shaft, 88 rear end, swap it underneath anything from the 70s and 60s that sucked, and then you have yourself something that doesn't suck. So most um, of it, okay. <laughs> hey man, if if anyone out there has a 78 to 78 or a 77 to 78 uh, Dodge, what is it? 77 what? to 78. What the hell? Yeah, what is that ultra low horsepower? It's like a 180 horsepower, 360 powered, whatever. I would love to have one. <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it in a bit. It's it replaced the A body. Everything in this in that era, right? 77 ish. Literally everything American and V8 sucked. Yeah, just all of it. Yeah, it was so bad. We uh, won't talk about 76. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've alluded to this a few times, right? And we're going to get there. I promise, guys. We are, we are going to get to the 70s. I will do a show on it. I hate Damn it. Straight. But Damn we'll, straight. But we'll do the show on it. <laughs> but it's going to suck. The Valaire. That's what it was. Oh, my God. Sorry. So, so also another thing that the uh, mid-2000s brought us was mm-hmm. the uh, Lotus Estige. Oh, yeah. The Exige and the Elise. Or Exige. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the reliable yeah. lotuses uh, yeah like it's like when lotus really started being like in my opinion good and they I had mean, some issues they, they quit building engines they got smart more but, more uh, correctly yeah. i think you mean the the series two elise which was toyota powered yes the elise and exige in that era yep. would have been the toyota powered 2zz one which is actually a great package, uh, which alludes to another thing from this era, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this on one of our previous co- episodes about manufacturers whiffing it. Uh, the MRS from Toyota, which was uh, yeah. produced around the same era, the mid-2000s, mm-hmm. and totally could have been the same car. Like, the 2ZZ fits in the MRS. But uh, we just... The Toyota just didn't make it. Don't know why. 
and it is the de facto like the first thing that guys do is not suspension coilovers or brakes. The first thing guys do is put in a two ZZ. It's ridiculous on the write ups, and it's probably one of the easiest engine swaps to do. Uh, I don't know if you can call it an engine swap if it goes in with factory mounts and lines up on factory holes. Like, and it, it mounts up to either the swap. five speed or the six speed. Like in Europe, they came with six speeds, which means that the engine would just literally come out and go back in. Like, yeah. And then you have yourself. I don't know if you can call that a. Can you even call that an engine swap? (laughs) That being said, though, Stephen, like again, look at the time that the vehicle was sold. As far as two thousands to to two thousand six ish, two thousand seven, you had the the outgoing NB Miata, and you had the NC, and the MR two was still faster and lighter. Um, it got demolished by the S two thousand, but that's a different class entirely. And then the Z three at the time, which. I'm sorry, BMW, but it was just not, it was not great. Oh, it was just kind of in. There's the Z3 shoe. Okay. There is the shoe. That's love that Z3 shoe. completely different. And we'll go back Don't to that for the European the guys. We'll, we'll go back it. to that. Because that was another M goodness, right? It was a Z3M um, touring, I think is what they called it. Some guys in a massacre uh, me on that. But the, I think it's just the Z3M. The, MR, the yeah. The MRS, oh, also known as the Z3, wasn't uh, a bad vehicle by I, any means. I just think it had the same I, problem that the RX-8 had where people wanted more from it, and it just didn't have we'll it. We'll reserve the, uh, the Z3 shoe discussion for the 90s, because it was actually the 90s. But uh, the 2000s would have been the Z4, row, uh, fuck, Z4 Coupe, Z4M Coupe. Uh, which yeah, it was 06. Yeah, that the was a cool was, car too, but that was not. The shoe was just classically good. The coupe is just good. yeah. The thing, the problem that the Z4 I think had in the Z4M, and this is 06 to 08, is that it's. I think they went too grand touring with it and didn't keep enough sporty. Right, they were trying sure. to go for more of a. You have the AC on and windows down, and I have a 120k paying job with, you know, matched retirement fund, <laughs> yeah. like. And if we're going to talk about those two, we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about the S2000. We also got to mention the Porsche Boxster. Yes, yeah. to me, not as good. I mean, it was it was great as a Porsche, but it's it's the bait is the bottom of the barrel Porsche. You know, I actually have to disagree here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fundamentally, the Boxster is a better car in a lot of ways than a 911 is. First gen Boxster is 90s. It just Shut is, man. It just is. Uh, it's mid-engine. It's got way lower polar moment of inertia. Um, it's got a flat six that's like 3.2 liters, and it's, I would call it equivalent to a base 911 engine. Uh, like, what does it give up to the 911? It's not loved. I mean, sure. There's a reason. Uh, so me and Craig have gone around about this because Craig finds the Cayman to be uh, a better vehicle for some reason. It's and okay. I, for those, those who need to be reminded, I am six foot four and I absolutely have to have a hard top or else I can't race a convertible at the racetrack. It just does not happen. So dude, you just got a style, super tall roll bar. Just send it <laughs> or drop the four pan five inches. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, you know. Just make it work. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so the Cayman is, uh, generally speaking, well-regarded and way more expensive than a Boxster, despite being mechanically 
freaking identical. identical. <laughs> freaking identical. The the chassis dynamics are a little bit different because it is a hard top and therefore a little bit lighter and stiffer. But I, it's the stigma behind it, I think, is that your convertible is yeah, for girls. Has, and It's not just the vert, right? It's the Boxster. Because the 911 yeah. vert doesn't have this problem. But the Boxster yeah. has a really weird stigma about it that I don't think it necessarily deserves. You know, I, I do think you're right on that. But it's just, I don't know. I do know that as in the used car market, if you're looking back, that's about the time that Porsche became good enough for the common man to actually drive and afford and all issues are known and documented yeah that came up on one of our previous uh best performance cars under five grand is a used boxster that's had the ins bearing failure either replaced or hasn't had it like it's one of the yeah. ones that wasn't affected by that yeah that a used boxster for sure is an absolute performance bargain and uh used 911s are not <laughs> but i'd rather have an s2000 uh, you know, I almost feel better about the reliability of a high mile Boxster than I do a high mile S2000. Only, <sighs> only because of the way that guys drive what? the S2000. Right? That's what People... I'm saying, right? I feel good that the, the odds are good. I can find a hundred thousand mile Boxster that's actually had a good, a good life. You know, it's been well-maintained. Yeah. Not likelihood it has shit a, beat out of it. It likely has a, uh, extensive Porsche dealership, uh, pamper records that and it's, right. it's a boxster right it's probably been driven reasonably most of the time it well the uh, that too but the, the way that the flat six works in that car you don't need to beat the piss out of it to go fast the s2000 right. you do that's what i'm saying <laughs> like, like you're guaranteed yeah. if you're looking at 100k s2000 that shit has been beat on hard hard like often three quarters of its life <laughs> with vigor because <laughs> it just it just like, is right like a defect yo <laughs> yeah, maybe they like to beat on it. Maybe they were just trying to beat the minivan off the line. Either way, you got to take it to seven thousand RPM. Uh, that's when you start making power, dude. You go all the way up to. That's what I'm what, saying. If you want to keep up with the Pacifica next to you, you got to spend like seven k. Yeah, to take it all the way up like to ninety one. Oh, dude, I've oh, driven man. It's, it's miserable to me. I uh, I, I loved my S two K. Um, they're fun to beat it, on. It, I'll grant you that. They're... It's one of the, it's one of those cars that like if, if you've ever owned one, I don't know, maybe maybe not just drive one, but if you ever like owned one, like like you kind of want to go back. And granted, I had a low mileage one. I I had one that was a garage queen. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was like an old one. I get the feel. Uh, my roommate in Charleston had one, a yellow first generation, and then uh, Matt, mm-hmm. another mutual friend of ours, had a supercharged second generation. That car was that was ridiculous. Yeah. ridiculous that, car was a that was like that was the first iteration steven that i ever had of what uh small car fast was ever about not slow car fast i'm talking about small car with power that was the first yeah, car Matt's says 2k made uh legal go-kart yeah, yeah basically his car made i want to say like 400 horse and it had star spec z's for those guys who know how old that tire is now that dates and us large <laughs> he had 285s on the back yeah like and that thing large just, fender flares <laughs> You think about and turning not, the thing turned in. It wasn't enough. The two eighty fives were yeah. not enough tire. No, it was it was ridiculous. That thing was skatey and terrifying and awesome all at the same time. Uh, however, normal S two thousands are not like that. Uh, you pin the throttle yeah. anywhere below like five grand, and nothing happens. Except and yeah, you got to wait for it. <laughs> yeah. 
whack the throttle that open was, and that, hear noise, but nothing actually happens. That's that was the joke between the S two thousand and the RX eight, right? Like you can pin the S two thousand at low RPM and you have less torque than the RX eight does, which is notoriously known for not having torque, right? I think the RX eight was still wow. dyno at like 130 foot pounds, and the S two thousand wouldn't even get close to that above until you got above I think fifty two was the the point where it started making some oomph. Yeah, definitely. Like that uh, was the big Go ahead. I've never driven a stock second generation, but the stock first gen S2K is definitely, uh, it's the torque deficit is so bad that it actually feels bad to crack the throttle on it below like, you know, three, 4,000 RPM just cruising around. It feels like you shouldn't do this to the car. It wants to be turning more, lots more. Uh, that said, I'll, I'll grant Kevin's. They're a ton of fun to drive. Like I get it. Yep. Just putting it in the limiter is a ton of fun. Yeah. And even though like it's it's not great, it, it still had a like one of those interesting facts about it was it, it was the that like the highest hor- it was the highest horsepower in a uh, per liter until the four five eight Italia. Yes. I mean, yeah, it took a Ferrari cool. to. To beat the but, uh, mean piston speed of a F1 designed Honda. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I still though. I, yeah, uh, I don't know. And and they're good for power adders too, but you know, not exceptionally well. But I mean, also, I think honestly, one of the things I love about it too was the amount of room you had to work on shit. Yeah, I will give you that. They're easy to work on. Amazingly easy to super, work on. Super easy to work on. Tons of room to fit things. You almost have too much room to fit. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt's car had a, I think he had a Paxton blower on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even with the blower and the intercooler and everything else, there was still a ton of room in the engine bay. Yeah, the, they make for great chassis to swap like LSs or Honda V6s <laughs> or even two days into... Like I think we've had the same question about the RX eight. Or LS. Well, yeah, it's a yeah. great chassis. Just put a put a V eight in it and it would be awesome. Well, it's just that the fact that the engine bay itself just gives you so much room and like they canted over for those who don't know, the S two thousand engine is canted over like twenty seven degrees or something like that, opposite of the driver. Yeah. For better it's weight distribution and yeah. balance. But they do that for a lower hood line. It also helps with weight balance and in a pseudo way, it kind of helps out with maintenance. Right. Now, if only Honda had made you a stick V8, all the important bits where you need to, cool. and then you keep the front end clear. The yeah, completely. Yeah. So, from what I'm gathering, then Stephen, for for all of us, I guess, and this is kind of how I want to end, I guess, this episode. If we had the ability to buy right now today a car from the 2000s, and let's just ignore price. What was that? We'll cut out there at the end. Hang on. I think we lost Kev. Oh, I'm still here. Kev? Yeah, no. Server dropped I'm, out I'm for a second. Here. No, you're still Are here. You Steve? No, he's here. Kevin? Uh, Kevin's here. Are we good? Hurt? I'm here. All right. Steven? Yeah, I'm, close. Yeah, I'm here. We'll, uh, we'll close it out. So we're all here. But yeah. I'll, uh, I'll fix it. In, I'll fix it in post. Wait, I'm not hearing Steve. He's, so, all right, everybody, Steve, we had uh, some technical difficulties and uh, we lost Pert. But uh, we're going to close this one out. We're just about to the end of our discussion anyway. 
Well, let's uh, let's cut it, Stephen, and then we'll open up a new recording, and then we'll finish out the actual discussion. Then, because I was going on a, I had a good question for the three of us. Hey, Pert, we're gonna cut it. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can hear Craig, but I can't hear. I can't hear Stephen. Yeah, fix it in post. Um, <laughs> and it looks like okay. from my 